today we're going to continue our gospel series on the gospel and marriage. And I think before we look at the scripture and go any further in the service, let's do something a little different this morning. I feel impressed with the Lord to do this. Um, for those of you who are here uh, with your spouse, some of you don't have a spouse for one reason or another, uh, but if you are here with your spouse, I would like you to pray with your spouse. I'm going to pray for the marriages. I would like you to pray with your spouse. If you don't have one and you desire to have one, that would be an opportunity for you to pray for God to bring that person into your life. Uh, for those of you who your spouse passed on to glory, uh, you can certainly thank the Lord for the years that he gave you and uh, that he would continue to give you grace um, as you carry on. Marriage is under attack today like, like no other institution. And we really need to be praying for our marriages and praying for one another. And, and so let's just take a moment and bow together in prayer. And uh, you can pray silently for your spouse and, and just that God would speak to us as we open his word today and encourage us. And, and maybe you're here this morning and your, your marriage is tired. Uh, you're tired in your marriage. You're, you're tired in the relationship. And maybe you're dealing with some challenges. And maybe it's time to get a fresh look at marriage and just ask God to renew Renew your commitment uh, to your spouse. So let's, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we just give you great thanksgiving for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the gift of marriage. I thank you for my wife, Pam. I thank you for how you've blessed us with 25 plus years of marriage. Lord, I thank you for each of the marriages that are here today. Some have their spouse with them. Some have their spouse already passed on. And Lord, we just ask for your grace in each of these relationships. We ask that you would speak to us and remind us that marriage is your idea. And that you have a purpose in marriage. And that we would understand that purpose and live it out in a way that your glory would be known to the world. And so, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our marriages, renew our commitments, rekindle love, maybe that has lied dormant, perhaps for a long time. And, Lord, we pray that you would just renew us in these relationships that are so vital. that We would live in such a way that our children and grandchildren would see the power of the gospel and how we relate to one another. So Lord, we ask your blessing on this service today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The story is told about a young a man named Joe White. He was in a car accident, and he had to be taken to the hospital. And his wife stayed outside when the doctor came out. The doctor said, Mrs. White, I don't like the looks of your husband. She said, I don't either, but he's good to the kids. 
And then there was a pastor's and wife's retreat that went on for three days, and in one session it consisted of testimonies about how the Lord had blessed the lives and ministries of these pastors and their wives, and one young preacher's wife stood up and began nervously, the Bible promises no good thing does the Lord withhold from them that walk uprightly. Well, she said sincerely, my husband is one of those no good things. When we think about how we communicate in marriage, it is so vital in what we communicate and how we communicate it. Speaking the truth in love, caring for our spouse. I'm reminded as um, when I was a kid, our neighbor, you always knew when he wasn't getting along with his wife because he would come out to his car and he would get in his car and he had a paved driveway and he would start squealing the tires, smoking the tires back and forth in his driveway. And his wife would be standing at the, the door looking out, watching him. And I thought, oh my goodness, another argument. Only to, a few years later, see that marriage disintegrate into divorce. So the question is, how do we build a marriage that will go the distance? How do we find a relationship that will last a lifetime? Where do we find such a person? And when will we know we have found that person? The 50th anniversary is the golden anniversary. The 60th is the diamond anniversary. The 65th is the blue sapphire, and the 70th is the platinum. So the question is, which one are you going for? Are you going for the 50th? Are you going for the... I don't think I'm going to make 70. I started too late, okay? Some of you could, though, make it. And actually, um, I know that Albert and Marilyn are pushing for 72. Is that right? This summer. I think we need to give them a hand. <laughs> Anybody more than 72 here and have the strength to raise your arm? <laughs> no, you're not quite there yet. <laughs> uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. A good marriage is not, Gary Thomas said, a good marriage is not something you find, it's something you work for. And one of the things that I, uh, when I was doing a little research and thinking about this message, I, I and, and give me a moment to explain this, I looked up driver behaviors. And I, I wanted to look up and see what causes casualties and accidents. And what we found, and some of the top things that cause accidents, casualties and accidents, is speeding, alcohol, drugs, medication, distraction, Failure to obey uh, uh, signs and traffic lights and all those things. But, you know, there's a commonality with all of those. And what is the commonality? Driver behavior. It wasn't a mechanical failure. It wasn't a mechanical function that went wrong. It was driver failure. Behavior failure. And I think that carries over into the marriage relationship. It's not bad marriage. It's bad people in the marriage because people have behaviors, and we have behaviors that contribute to problems in marriage if we don't do it God's way. 
And so we have to. And, and think about it. What happens when you speed in a, in a marriage? When you speed in a marriage, it's because you don't have time for each other. You don't communicate and talk and sit down and connect intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, in every way like that. And then all of a sudden there's problems in the marriage because you're going too fast. Or a failure to obey the signs that are there. There are signs that are there. And we fail to obey God's instruction book. And we get distracted. So all these things really kind of come into play when we think about marriage, don't they? Well, let's go back for a moment and consider the beginning. Marriage was born in the heart of God. Math, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 2, if you'll open there, beginning in verse 18, he says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, it wasn't Adam coming up and saying, Man, I'm pretty lonely right now. What in the world's going on here? It wasn't his idea at all. He didn't know he was lonely. And God says, it is not good for man to be alone. And man should be saying, amen. That's why he gave us the opportunity to have a spouse. And he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And then he goes all the animals, and he names all the animals, and he says, then down in verse 20, at the end of verse 20, but for Adam, there was no suitable helper found. God wanted to give man a special gift in a wife, in a spouse. So marriage is God's idea, and God not only defines marriage, but he gives the overarching purpose of marriage. So for marriage to make sense, God must be in it. It is ordained, maintained, and sustained by him. Look what it says here in Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It is a gift from God, favor of the Lord, if you have a spouse. And you have a spouse who loves the Lord, you should be thanking God for that spouse and praising God for that spouse. Proverbs 19.14, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. It is a wonderful gift one, next to salvation, it's the greatest gift I think we could have, to have that kind of spouse where we can interact with and have fellowship with and companionship. Dictionaries used to define marriage as a legally accepted relationship between a man and a woman in which they live as husband and wife. That definition, however, has been obliterated Due to the common law marriage, same-sex marriage, and the acceptance of transgender ideology, so that references to man and woman and husband and wife have been redefined in marriage. I've been using these little gospel series books, The Gospel and Marriage. And in that book he says, most dictionaries now define marriage as something like this a state in which two individuals are wholly committed to live with each other in physical intimacy under conditions normally approved and witnessed to by their social group or society. This opens the door to all kind of problems of opposite sex, same sex, transgender, whatever gender they consider themselves to be. 
However, let us think about history for a moment. In 2015, same-sex marriage became a constitutional right in all 50 states. Many people think that that is as a result of the cause of our times, but it's not. It is a sign of the times. The cause happened many years ago, back in the 60s and 70s, when we had a sexual revolution take place, and we began to engage in that type of behavior apart from marriage, family, children, and spouse. And when we divorce physical intimacy from those institutions that God has established, then we have a weakened foundation for marriage. Let me give us a working definition of marriage from this gospel series book, The Gospel and Marriage. Marriage is a spiritual and legal covenant between two complementary counterparts, one biological male and one biological female, through which they are joined by God in a one-flesh union and commit to pursue and enjoy a conjugal exclusive, indivisible, lifelong love relationship. That's a mouthful. Let's break it down. First of all, a spiritual and legal covenant. When you go back into the Old Testament in Malachi 2.14, it clearly states that marriage is a covenant relationship when it says she is the wife of your marriage covenant. It is a covenant. And it's actually a blood covenant relationship. The goal in marriage is for a woman to be married as a virgin. And when a virgin has physical intimacy the very first time, there's blood. It's a blood covenant. Proverbs 2.17 says, The adulteress forgets the covenant of her God. Marriage is not only one type of covenant. is only one type of covenant in the Bible, but it's an important one. So what is a covenant? A covenant is a legal, binding, interpersonal agreement or commitment that outlines the obligations of each party in a relationship. People who enter into this covenant form an unbreakable alliance, association, or bond. A covenant is a permanent oath that is witnessed and guaranteed by God. It is both legal and spiritual. Notice when we go on, In verse 22, it says, The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, for she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So marriage, we see, is between two people, two individuals, And if God's plan is monogamy, and it is, let's think for a moment about why there were several men, people in the Old Testament, who had more than one wife. And why did God tolerate that? Well, Hebrew marriage was essentially monogamous. Polygamy was largely confined to the ruling and upper class, and a ruler would have multiple wives to secure heirs or make political alliances. 
Several people in the Old Testament practiced polygamy. Lamech, Abraham, Jacob, Gideon, King David, Solomon, Rehoboam, many. However, the passage is descriptive rather than prescriptive, and nowhere in Scripture is polygamy ever sanctioned by God. Jesus clarified that God's design for marriage is one man and one woman as it was in the beginning. Look at this verse in Matthew. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And it said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus goes back to this very passage in Genesis, which is before the fall of man, because this was God's plan and his design all along. So we see these complementary counterparts, one biological male and one biological female. That is God's plan, no matter how many times man tries to redefine marriage and the people in it. Genesis is clear he created two sexes, male and female, as two binary beings in marriage. They are complementary counterparts. When God created woman, he created her to be a helper as his complement, suitable, tailor-made for the man. In Genesis 2.23, it says the Hebrew word here for man is ish. It's derived from a root meaning strength, that God has given man strength to lead to provide, to protect, to care for his wife. The word for woman is isha, derived from the root meaning soft. So God made man and woman to be different, and he, he assigned these at birth. So our biology will enable us to fulfill God's destiny for us. We have a different role then through this, we are joined by God into a one-flesh union. The complementary differences between man and woman facilitate this union. The two will become one flesh. And the Bible says in Mark, what God has joined together, let man must not separate. He creates a whole new entity, one being, one body, one flesh. And then he says this, for this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, or some versions will say cleave to his wife. That is covenant faithfulness. That is commitment in marriage through thick and thin, good and bad, rich and poor, health and sickness. It doesn't matter. We say all those things in marriage, but we need to mean those throughout our married life. And it means this, that when we are united in marriage... It's like taking two pieces of paper, putting Elmer's glue on them, and sticking them together, and the only way they'll come apart is to be ripped apart, and it will tear both, because God never designed it to come apart except by death. That's the kind of commitment God wants us to have. But in that commitment, He wants us to have a fulfilled, joyful, content, contented marriage, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, how that happens. So it's the idea of holding fast, permanently glued together. That's God's plan. 
This intimate union involves every aspect of a person's being, spiritual, emotional, physical, financial, our thoughts, our hopes, our dreams, our heart, everything needs to be involved in that. So what is God's purpose in all of this? Well, last week we talked about the gospel and life, and we talked about God created life in the womb, and that life is an image bearer of God. So as a man and wife, husband and wife come together and create image bearers, those image bearers grow up and hopefully reflect the glory of God to the world. And that is the power of the gospel. The gospel is seen through marriage. We're going to see that in a little bit. And it should promote the glory of God. Husbands and wives loving each other and caring for each other should promote the glory of God. First, let's look at the aspect of God's glory in a wife's submission. Take your Bibles now and let's flip back into the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul lays out for us the clear instruction of what the responsibility and role of a husband and wife is to be. And he starts off with a wife in verse 22, Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Submitting to your husband, that, that sounds like such a harsh word. And people are like, oh, they cringe, they, they, they you know, bristle up as soon as they hear that term. However, it is a beautiful term. When we understand submission and the reason for it and behind it, we see the example of submission in Jesus in the garden. When Jesus was in the garden of Eden, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He was submitting to the Father because he knew the Father loved him and cared for him. And so submission is in the context of love. So how do wives submit to their husbands? How should they? Well, let me suggest three ways you can submit to your husband. The first way is to submit willingly. Willingly. You do it voluntarily. You're not forced. You're not coerced. It's done willingly, voluntarily. Not kicking and screaming, but realizing and accepting your God-given role in the marriage relationship. Now, there's a responsibility for husbands to help in this, and we'll get to that. But we need to submit willingly. Secondly, submit obediently. He says, as to the Lord, your commitment to Christ will govern your submission. You know, it's interesting, whenever I've done marriage counseling, and I've had people come in and the, and the wife is having trouble submitting Oftentimes, there's a, a problem with the husband as well. And so it really does go together, and we're going to see that in a moment. But as to the Lord, that is the end of your submission. It's not like he can tell you to go out and commit sin and do all these things. No, it is as to the Lord. Your obedience is as to Christ. That's where it ends. You should never be instructed to do something contrary to God's word. Nor can a husband just say, hey, I need you to go wash the car. I need you to clean the house. I need you to, you know, wash the dishes and do this and that. And I'm going to sit back and watch the football game. Uh, that is not submission. That is slavery. There's a difference. 
You see, submission is always in the context of love. The husband should be wanting his wife to submit and for the wife's highest good so that she becomes the godly woman God wants her to be. And if a husband does not have his wife's highest good in mind, then that's a problem. So submission is in the context of love. A husband loving his wife, wanting the very best for her, that's the way it should be. And then thirdly, submit respectfully. Respectfully. It's as to the Lord. And then also down in verse 33, he says, However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Submitting to his leadership, recognizing that God has placed your husband in that leadership role, and you get along respectfully. Reminds me of the businessman. He moved over slightly as a young man crowded into the airplane seat next to him, and they both fastened their seat belts, and the businessman good-naturedly inquired as to whether the young man was traveling on business or pleasure. Pleasure, the young man replied. I'm on my honeymoon. Your honeymoon? The businessman asked mystified. Where's your wife? Oh, she's a few rows back. The plane was full. We couldn't get seats together. The plane hadn't started rolling yet, so the businessman said, Well, I'd be happy to change seats with her so the two of you can be together. That's okay, the young man replied. I've been talking to her all week. (laughs) Communication respectfully is so vital on both ends. Then let's look at the God's glory in a husband's love. He tells us in verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. God's glory in a husband's love. How does a husband love his wife? How should we love our wives? Well, let me suggest three things here as well. The first one is by our leadership. Our leadership. He tells us that the husband is the head of the wife. We have a responsibility to lead. We can't delegate that to someone else. We have that responsibility that is given to us. And for that reason, it should cause us to be on our knees as we lead our wives and our children because we have a responsibility to lead them spiritually. We have a responsibility for their spiritual growth and development, for their emotional well-being. Sometimes... You can get upset with your spouse and say, you know, I'm kind of ticked off at her. We need to deal with that anger. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You deal with that anger and ask God to help you work with that and come together. When I do pre-marriage counseling, we talk about conflict resolution. And one of the things we talk about in there is there's really nothing in Scripture that says exactly 
you're supposed to resolve it, but it doesn't tell you exactly how to resolve it. So one of the things we talk about in premarital counseling is sometimes one spouse wants to deal with an issue immediately. I mean immediately. They want it over in two minutes. The other one wants to take a couple days and think about it. You see, you got this big chasm. And so what has to happen is they have to compromise and come together and say, wait a minute, the Bible says don't let the sun go down in your wrath, so it really shouldn't go into another day. The one who wants to deal with it immediately might be pressuring the other one who needs time to think about it, so you need time to think about it. And so for that person to be pressured, they're going to say something emotionally and respond and cause a problem. So what we say is, before you have the argument, talk about a plan while everybody's calm and say, okay, what is reasonable? I know you want to deal with it right away. I need time. How about one hour? And decide on an hour to sit and pray, think about what you need to say, and then come back in that hour and talk about it. So there has to be a reasonable understanding of what you would do. And as the man, you need to take the lead role in that and cause that to happen. So make sure that you deal with that and don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You may say, well, I'm not a good communicator. You can learn to be a better communicator. There are lots of good books to read on marriage. Uh, one that I would commend to you is Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. Uh, is a very good book. And one of the things that he communicates in there is that God's desire for marriage is not that we be happy. It's that we be holy. God wants us to be holy more than he wants us to be happy. The second aspect of a husband's love is protection. Protection. If you look down at verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. Protecting his wife, caring for her, he who loves his wife loves himself. We see this modeled by Christ's love for his church in providing for us and protecting us. The third aspect is provision. Provision. Again, Christ providing for his church. Providing for our wives emotionally, spiritually, in every way. Sometimes they need a break from the kids right? Moms are losing their minds. Give them a break. Give them a night out with the ladies. Give them a, a night out by themselves. Whatever they need. Go read a book, honey. I'm going to watch the kids. I'll make the meal tonight. Uh, whatever it is to help lighten the load and give them what they need in providing for them. The last aspect here is God's glory in marriage beginning back in verse 29. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, 
for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Again, this is the same passage that we read a while ago in Genesis and also in Matthew. Paul quotes the same passage. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This tells us that marriage, marriages are to be patterned after Christ's marriage to his church. It's a mystery that is hidden and unknown. Christ loves his church and he cherishes the bride. How much did Christ love the church? He loved the church enough to die for it. How much should husbands be willing to love their wives? Enough to die for them. A sacrificial love is what God has called us to in loving our spouse. This is what communicates the gospel to the world. When husbands and wives love each other, it communicates the gospel. It communicates the glory of God. Two image bearers coming together, raising more image bearers to communicate love, and that love comes from our love relationship with the Lord because he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. When we communicate that kind of love, it spreads the gospel. Because people wonder, how can you do that? How can you have a marriage that lasts a lifetime? You have a marriage that lasts a lifetime because you are basing it on God and you have a covenant relationship in marriage, but we see that covenant relationship that God has given to us, the church, and we base our relationship on that. Your marriage exists to manifest the glory of Christ's redemptive love for his bride, and when a marriage falls apart, it hinders the gospel because our marriages are to display the gospel. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, take a moment and reflect on your marriage. Are there some areas of growth that need to take place? Are you submitting willingly to your husband? Do you belittle him, criticize him? Talk negatively, talk down, make cutting remarks? How can you encourage your husband in his leadership role? As a husband, maybe you feel inadequate in your leadership. That's actually a good place to be, inadequate, because then we rely on Christ. We have to get on our knees and say, God, I am inadequate to be the leader of this household that I need to be. I am inadequate to be the husband that I need to be to love my wife and lead my wife and protect her and provide for her in a way that would honor you and promote the gospel.
You see, the gospel is all-inclusive. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the gospel and work. Last week, the gospel and life. Now, gospel and marriage. It's all-inclusive. If our lives are not going well in marriage, I think it's because we've lost sight of the purpose to bring glory to God. And that God has designed marriage to make us holy, not happy. And so, yes, we will go through trials and difficulties and troubles so that God can cut away those rough edges and make us more like him. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, Jesus died on the cross for our sin, shed his blood that we could be forgiven. And I would just ask you to consider inviting Christ into your life. If we can help you to pray for you about any need, please see myself, somebody else around you that can pray with you before you leave today. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.